Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of Unless You Ask. With me today, in rare form, is a long-term vegetarian, the only person who I would have paid to come on the show, and my youngest guest thus far, Miranda Rosenblum. Miranda, hello, hello. welcome to the pod. Thanks so much, Kevin. Glad to be here. Miranda and I had to start recording a little bit later than we scheduled because Miranda was uh, in line at Taco Bell. <laughs> It was um, a long line. Taco yes. Bell is a hot commodity around Taco here. Bell is swamped on a nice spring day. Um, I'm curious, as I mentioned, you're a vegetarian. What uh, What's your Taco Bell order? Well, I'm so glad that you asked, Kevin. <laughs> um, I feel very strongly that Taco Bell is the best fast food slash fast casual restaurant that you can go to as a vegetarian or a vegan. Both mm. options are widely available. So as someone who is mostly gluten-free and vegetarian, I order the following. A crunchy taco, sub beans for beef, mm. and then I also add the spicy ranch, and it is delicious. Wow. Um, I didn't know they had spicy ranch. This is a this is maybe the most like informative hot take we've had that's unrelated to the topic that the person brought. <laughs> I mean, as fellow Taco Bell fanatics, I feel like maybe we should just switch our topic all the way to Taco Bell. <laughs> uh, we can weave that in as we go. Um, Great. So that was a very uh, thorough intro, but <laughs> for the people who you haven't met who are listening, um, I would love for you to introduce yourself. Great. Hey, everyone. My name's Miranda. Uh, my pronouns are they, them, and I am... Wow, what to even say? I am a non-binary trans person. That's important to me. Um, I work at multiple nonprofits and care a lot about social justice. I love plants and own upwards of 20. That's, how are they doing? I, uh, They're thriving. I like to say that if my plants are thriving, I'm thriving. So wow. it's a really high stakes situation, but we're doing great so far. Kevin can see in my background that yes. the plants are looking delightful. And uh, I'm also a caretaker of one really shy and very anxious cat named Palouche. Palouche is a delight. I, um, I, there, Palouche will be a uh, pivotal uh, for the last half of the podcast. Palouche is always the star. <laughs> Truly. Kevin, also, fun fact, is that Kevin was one of my, uh, one of the, the pivotal uh, person who provided a, a recommendation, a letter of recommendation t for me to adopt Palouche. So that basically makes you like her god caretaker that was truly truly an honor if i i would trust you with my cat let alone a cat that that you were dedicated full-time attention to so um yeah that was i appreciate you calling upon me and uh i i uh if we ever need to adopt i'll be sure to return the favor it would be my my honor truly yes um, okay, so we have a little bit of background about you. I guess it's important that I share my pronouns. I'm cisgendered, and I uh, my pronouns are he/him. And um, I think the the next thing I want to talk about is just what what is the topic that you have brought for us today? Yeah, well, I have recently been thinking a lot about how the pandemic and the quarantine 
that has ensued has impacted my life in ways that, of course, have been different and changed the way that my life has lived in an everyday way so dramatically, and also how it's brought opportunities for me to create, to take chances around my self-expression, to maybe be a little bit more brave than I would have been able to be otherwise because I'm more removed. That isolation that both is creating a lot of anxiety and difficulties as it is for all of us is also something that has allowed me to play a little bit more and feel able to um, stretch and explore. And so I wanted to talk about that today because this podcast has really been birthed from this pandemic moment in 2020, 2021. And so my experience taking testosterone for four months during COVID-19 in quarantine and then going off of testosterone uh, is something that I haven't had a chance to publicly talk about. And I felt like this could be a topic as you are a fellow person who's also gone through testosterone puberty. It's true. We could really bond over. Yes. And I want to start by saying I appreciate so much for uh, choosing something very personal and being able to talk about it. And I think that our listeners and and just I will benefit greatly from being able to walk through this journey with you. Um, so to, I guess to provide a little background, um, can you sort of start from just uh, at a higher level, kind of what are ways that people kind of decide to affirm their gender um, that you've seen or that like you know of, you know, not necessarily specifically testosterone, but more broadly kind of in this, uh, in this kind of range of, of decisions that we're presented with. Cause I think a lot of people kind of don't think too critically about how they're expressing their gender. And then a lot, a lot of other people think about it all the time. <laughs> um, so I, yeah, I think for the people who maybe haven't sat and thought about it in a while, like what are some examples, I guess, of, of things that people do? Yeah, I love this question because as someone who thinks about it all the time, I like to talk about how that operates for me. So I'll back up just a little bit and and talk about um, some of the words that I might use and define them. So mm-hmm. for those who don't know, the word transgender means that you do not identify with the gender that you were assigned at birth. So doctors usually take a look at someone's genitals when they're born and say, ah, it's a girl or ah, it's a boy. Um, and then you carry that label with you for the rest of your life um, oftentimes. And, and some people um, see that as very in line with the gender that they feel inside, which is their gender identity, and don't question it. And others know that that was actually a mistake, that the doctor made a mistake, that their label that they were given at birth is not the gender identity that they feel in their heart um, and sometimes take steps to change the way that people see them, change their gender expression, um, change their name. Uh, and, and there are so many different ways that they can affirm their gender identity. Mm-hmm. Um, however, what's important to note is that gender identity is really different than gender expression. So gender identity is the sense of gender that you feel inside. So that can be that you feel like a man, you are a man, you feel as if you're a woman, you feel both, neither, you feel completely 
outside of the binary of gender at all. You feel like you have no gender, you're agender. There are so many different possibilities and abundances of ways that you can feel gender in yourself. Mm -hmm. And then there's also gender expression. So we often think, okay, women like to wear dresses. They like to dress femininely. Men like to wear collared shirts and hats and boots and like to dress masculinely. Um, and we don't always think about how there's actually a lot of variety between someone's gender identity and the way that they express their gender. So someone can absolutely be a woman and love to dress in masculine clothing. Um, others can really play with gender, wear a dress some days and wear a suit and a top hat other days. And all of that is incredibly valid and can look and, and doesn't necessarily determine your gender identity. So to, to bring it back to my own experience, mm -hmm. I knew um, at around the age of 19 that I was non-binary, that I did not identify as a man or a woman, that my gender was far more expansive than those labels. Um, and then I still, after that, had to figure out what parts of gender expression felt right for me. Did I like wearing dresses? Did I like wearing suits? Did I like wearing both? Did I like wearing neither? Um, and that journey over the last, I guess, six years, a little less than six years, um, has brought me to where I am today, which is that I... I'm still figuring out how to explore my gender identity, but I've chosen to take steps like get top surgery and take testosterone and then go off of testosterone mm -hmm. um, and uh, wear different clothes that feel more me. Um, and other people make different choices. Um, you don't have to get surgery or take hormones to be trans. Um, every single trans person and every single cis person make different choices that affirm their gender in different ways. We're all seeking to figure out what clothes, what mannerisms, what voices, what uh, ways that we present ourselves to the world yes. feel affirming and valid for us. Um, and this has been my journey in figuring out what feels good for me and what can make me feel the most me I can and not what society expects me to do. Yes. Yeah, I think the one of the point that you touched on briefly that I really want to emphasize is that everyone regardless of whether you're doing it consciously or not is are making decisions about how they want to sort of affirm their gender or just how they want to present and and why would you not want to sort of do that more consciously? I guess like why would you not take a little time to understand what is this really is this really aligned with who I see myself as? Is this really what I want for myself, the way that I look? And and I think uh, calling this out kind of as something that uh, is not specific to someone who maybe uh, doesn't fall into like the gender binary, is not specific to someone who's cisgender, like it's, or uh, who's transgender, it's, it's really applicable to everyone. Um, totally. Um, and I think something that's special about our friendship, Kevin, is that we've, I know that, that when we first met, 
some of these words were new to you um, and you've been able to really meet me where I'm at and be really affirming and validating uh -huh. um, as I've continued to figure out what different choices I want to make with my body. And I'm wondering if meeting me has made you look at your own gender expression differently than the way that you, or your gender yeah. identity as well than yeah. before. Definitely. A hundred percent. I mean, I think probably most people that meet and, and spend, you know, even like 30 minutes getting to know you will, will probably walk away with something new, <laughs> but I had the pleasure of, of spending a lot of time with you, um, while we could see each other in person and, uh, not just you, but you know, our, some of our friends and colleagues, and it helped me think about this stuff a lot more clearly. And I think, contextualizing it and being able to talk about it now and hopefully sharing this conversation with more people will also help them think about it a little bit more clearly uh, because you definitely have that power of taking something that uh, is not the most approachable to some people for whatever reason and they may not have been exposed to these concepts as as um, as much as others but make it making it like less intimidating and making it very um you know, comfortable to talk about. And I appreciate that a lot about talking to you, which is why I wanted Thank to have you. you on and why I would have paid you. And maybe we could still, we'll see. No, <laughs> my donation. <laughs> yes. Um, awesome. So you mentioned a little bit about uh, going on and off of testosterone during, um, during the quarantine. So I think just to start that conversation, can you give a little bit of background about sort of what testosterone is and what um, sort of effects it has on, on folks? Yeah. So testosterone is a hormone and we all need hormones. You can't not have hormones. And so uh, some of the hormones that you might be familiar with are testosterone and estrogen. And typically those assigned female at birth produce more estrogen, although they also have testosterone in their system. And those who are assigned male at birth are producing more testosterone than estrogen. Um, and as I'm sure all of your listeners are familiar with puberty, <laughs> when puberty happens, you start to go through changes that make your body more adult. Um, mm -hmm. So the changes that uh, folks who were assigned female at birth go through um, are different than those who are who were assigned male at birth go through because w one group is experiencing much more estrogen and the other group is experiencing much more testosterone. Um, so for a testosterone puberty, whether it's the first puberty or the second puberty, um, the the things that are typically terrible about puberty happens. So like you grow more hair on your face and your body, your voice gets deeper, um, your skin gets really a, a lot more oily and you get a lot of acne most of the time, um, which we all know, terrible. Yes. You smell weird and gross and <laughs> you need to apply deodorant far more often. Um, there's also effects that aren't talked about as much, but I think are still important to voice, which is that there's some genital changes. Um, so those who have uh, vaginas and vulvas and clitorises, the clit actually grows and there's some changes in the, uh, with the way that functions, mm -hmm. um, less lubrication, et cetera. Um, and 
there there also is some fat redistribution if you're on testosterone um, for a longer time. So testosterone or testosterone will take fat that was maybe more in your hips and move it up to your stomach um, and muscles will get bigger, shoulders more broad, uh, faces usually get less angular and more square, um, things like that. And, you know, th there are changes that can be really gender affirming about those things. For me, my voice change felt really important. Um, and then there's other things that are just not so great for anyone to go through because puberty sucks, especially if you're 24, it's the middle of a pandemic and you're living in your mother's house quarantining. <laughs> so oh, <man. laughs> yeah, going that. through like the second bout of bad acne is definitely terrible for everyone. But for me, it was a way to get to a place where my body felt more me, um, particularly my voice. And I felt like I could do that because I didn't have to go into work every day in the same way. Like I felt more isolated and that made me feel like I, ha I could be more self-conscious about my body and have it not affect me in a way that was social or professional, mm -hmm. et cetera. So I was isolating at my mom's house. Um, and that definitely was its own set of things, but it also gave me that opportunity to sort of be able to like take this guess with this thing that I wasn't 100% sure how my body was going to respond and then feel self-conscious about some of the changes and then figure out when and what I wanted to like power through so I could get to the result that I wanted. And then ultimately I chose to stop testosterone and let my body sort of level set back to its usual estrogen as the the main hormone um, because I felt like I had gotten the changes that I wanted. And some of those changes are non-reversible. Got it. Um, so yeah, you, you explained that very thoroughly, I guess. Was it um, sort of a conscious decision to sort of quote unquote go through puberty uh, sort of in a more familiar place like your parents' house or given given the choice, would you have chose to do that in like a different setting? It was definitely not intentional. It just sort of happened that way. I was planning, I was thinking about starting hormones before the pandemic happened. And mm -hmm. that was just when my appointment was. Um, and it was, there was something sort of poetic about it of going through yeah. <laughs> puberty in the same place twice that I <laughs> did the first time. And, and that was also not great. Puberty is a, a difficult time for everyone. Um, yes. But to be able to reflect on how much better this one felt, um, even though there was all the like, not so not ideal changes, no one likes acne. Mm -hmm. It felt like I was making a choice for my own body, I was taking that control back. Mm -hmm. um, and that that's something that I didn't feel as a kid. I felt really out of control, out of control of the way people talked about me, the way people saw me, the way I saw myself. I didn't know what I wanted to be, but I knew that I wasn't being who I was all the way. And I, I didn't have the words to be able to express that until I was exposed to other trans people um, and the multitudes and expansiveness of gender. Yeah. Um... 
well, I'm so glad that that was a positive sort of uh, change for you and that you're able to kind of feel comfortable going through that and finding sort of a as as much of a, a positive as you could have out of this quarantine situation and and covid uh to to be able to you know take that step and uh how how are you feeling now that you're no longer on testosterone do you feel like um there's more that you want to do to affirm your gender do you feel like um there's a chance that you'll uh, revisit testosterone in the future i think there are always what's beautiful about gender is that it changes and fluctuates. And so mm-hmm. for me, I feel good now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I feel, I feel like the, there are a lot of pieces of my body that used to give me a lot of dysphoria and a lot of distress. And those are, are mostly minimized to gone, um, which is a really incredible and fortunate place to be. And who the hell knows how I'll feel in 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> um, a lot of people talk about trans people, quote unquote, transitioning. Mm-hmm. And that's, some, that's a word that really doesn't resonate for me. Um, mm-hmm. For some people, it can really feel like a transition to one thing that they, they don't feel comfortable as. And then a, a gender and appearance and uh, aesthetic that feels really affirming for them. And then it's sort of like, okay, I feel done. And I feel like ready mm-hmm. to live the rest of my life. But for me, my gender feels really static um, it, it, in itself, my gender identity. But the way that I express my gender, I believe that can be really fun and it can change and fluctuate as styles change, as my the way that I'm seen in society changes, as we have access to different and new technology mm-hmm. and medication, and we have more understanding of the way the the way that trans people work and the way that trans healthcare can be really affirming. I, I just think there are so many possibilities. So never say never. Yeah. Um, but for <laughs> now, I, I'm feeling really positively about my decision to both start and then four months later, stop testosterone. And it's been about seven months since I've stopped. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Um, that's, I'm, I'm excited about the future. I hope that, that there's even more, uh, more that options, I guess, the, the more that we sort of provide people with as far as like ways to find that, that expression that feels right for them, the better. So I hope that that keeps expanding. Um, so we are about a little more than 20 minutes in. So why don't we take a quick break? I'll drink some water. Um, and then Great. when Let's we do that. hop back in, we'll keep talking. Okay, welcome back uh, to the second half. We are uh, fresh off the break. We got some water. We, our voices are feeling crisp. Miranda? Uh, crisp like an apple in autumn. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, that's the audio You can I'm see that the for. suburban life has affected me. <laughs> <laughs> all of our all of our city like uh 
references are are slowly leaving us. Um, yeah, it was previously crisp like a potato chip from a bodega. <laughs> oh my god, we still got it though. Um, so before the break, we were talking about sort of a lot of the ways that um, we hope in the future that people will be able to affirm their gender. I guess from your perspective, what what are some of the biggest uh, barriers to folks being able to access these kinds of things for themselves or to just generally feel comfortable um, exploring how to how to change their gender expression, their gender? Um, Oof, yeah. yeah. Um, there are so many barriers yes. to trans people feeling affirmed and validated and loved and seen and supported. I could go on and on and on and on. Um, but some of the biggest barriers are access to healthcare, um, safety and affirmation in one's home uh, by their community. Um, and also, I think notably access to supportive mental health care as well is, is a really big barrier, mm. um, as as well as uh, just knowledge of the trans community. Um, trans folks are often not seen and portrayed in affirming, validating ways in television, on the news, often really demonized and uh misrepresented and so not seeing validating uh, representations of yourself can be really scary. There's also a lot of anti-trans efforts in state legislation right now to remove access to a variety of different pieces of just being a kid yeah. or a, a trans teen right now. Um, there are two to three major types of anti-trans bills. There's one that bans healthcare that's specific to trans folks, like hormones, hormone blockers, surgeries for trans youth, and actually makes it a crime for a doctor to give that healthcare to someone who's under the age of 18 in a series of different states. Um, so these are bills right now that they haven't passed yet, but they're going through the process of being debated in um, like 10 plus different states, mm -hmm. um, which as I've described would prevent trans youth from accessing the kind of affirming care uh, that I've been so lucky to have that's made my body feel like mine, like taking testosterone or a different hormone for different trans folks or going through different medically necessary surgeries that are incredibly important to make people feel like themselves. Yes. Um, there's also a different kind of anti-trans bill that's also coming up, which is specifically around sports, but it, it, has implications beyond sports. So it's ban it. Uh, the, these bills propose that trans women, specifically trans girls, because these are like middle school, elementary school, high schoolers, yeah. uh, would not be able to play on a women's sports team mm -hmm. in high school at a public school, um, which is one isolating and demonizing yes. to these trans trans youth, um, but also it is. It's uh, establishing and um, legalizing a certain definition of gender. So it's legally defining 
defining gender in a way that is going to have repercussions across the board. So saying that someone's gender isn't valid when they're playing a, a sport and that gender is based on testosterone levels mm -hmm. or based on the sex that you are assigned at birth and saying you can actually not do a thing because of the sex that you are assigned at birth and because of the level of testosterone you, you have in your system, that's gonna really affect a lot of different ways that folks are able to operate within society if that legal definition continues. So these are a huge threat to both trans kids, but also to all of us um, and access, having access to the really reasonable things that keep us safe and make us happy. Yes. So um, I, I want to talk about both of these types of bills. Did you? Was there a third type that you had in mind? Oh, there was a third type. Thanks, Kevin. I appreciate that. Um, the other type is around uh, ID. So there are a couple of bills that are uh, that ban or are proposing to ban a change in gender marker on someone's birth certificate, which is a big issue because when you change your gender marker on an ID, you need all of your IDs to match in order to have full access to all the things that ID gives you access to. So like marriage licenses and flying somewhere on an airplane or whatever you need, voting yeah. um, as well. Like all the things that you're, you need your ID to do. Mm -hmm. um, if you have mismatching ID or you have one ID and you've, you, if you have one ID that you can't change, it makes it a lot harder to change your other identification mm -hmm. to match your actual name and your actual gender. Right. Um, so the idea that uh, states are actually actively trying to take away the change in identification to reflect trans people's lived gender identity uh, is just really disheartening um, and is providing a lot of barriers to a lot of different parts of our, our public life. Yes. Um, okay, so you've done a fantastic job of laying out these three types of, of bills. I'm sure that there's even more horrible attempts to uh, just involve the government with trans folks. But let's spend, uh, I, I would love to talk a little bit about each of those types um, in even more detail and kind of think about why these bills make zero sense and like what what horrible kind of arguments the people who propose them like wh what would lead someone to give a shit about <laughs> whether a trans girl can you know play soccer with other women um so starting with the uh banning medical procedures uh um, category of bills um what like why <laughs> there's there's so many other medical procedures that people get for stupid reasons that don't like affirm anything they're just they're completely unnecessary like totally elective and nobody has a problem with any of those so why would you yes. prevent medical procedures that are necessary that that aren't elective that are like things that people need I mean, what a good question. And there's obviously no yes. good answer because yeah, it it's rhetorical, I guess. truly ridiculous. Yeah. Um, the argument that I've, the, the, the wrong argument, yes. the yeah. argument that people who are uh, fighting for these bills are saying that people who are under 18 can't consent. And so they'll later regret that they've taken steps to change their body. And also that there is pressure to become 
to to come out as transgender and so kids are getting wrapped up in like the social uh pressure to be queer what and that is leading them to make decisions that they regret about their body um statistically we know that this is not at all the case um overwhelmingly gender affirming care does exactly that it affirms people's genders, uh, specifically trans folks' genders, and actually decreases their risk of suicide by a significant margin, um, improves their mental health overall, makes them a more well-adjusted, affirmed, happy kid who's able to move through high school in all the other complicated, terrible ways that one has to go through when they're, you know, 16, 17, 18. And so um, we know that these are, these are born out of fear and a misunderstanding of trans people's identities. Um, and, and really a, that connects to white supremacy and the patriarchy that we have such a firm, we as in society, we as in America, we as in like Western, uh, conformity has such a strong attachment to the gender binary and people being only labeled as the gender that they were assigned at birth because that is what Europeans have brought to the rest of the world. This is, this is a very Eurocentric way of looking at gender. There's so many different uh, cultures outside of Europe that see gender as its fluid, magical thing that it is, um, that these ideals are, are so wrapped up in all of the other norms that it's it's a way to start chipping away at the power structures that already exist. And so when those power structures are threatened, the people in power fight back. And so one of the ways is to literally criminalize getting trans kids the tools that they need to live affirming and healthy and happy lives yes um very very well put i think thinking about the idea of like not being able to consent as a child the the reason that being able to access these surgeries you know without having to involve your family is that a lot of times people's families are unfortunately very unsupportive of of their child's uh you know gender (laughs) Mm-hmm. and and they don't understand it and i'm sure that there's parents you know of trans kids who support these types of bills and it's it's tragic but that's their attempt to kind of like address this thing that they're not understanding and that they're afraid of and um it's very sad um yeah exactly yeah um okay so let's talk now about the second type of bills which is focused on not allowing uh sounds mostly focused on trans girls from uh, participating in in girls sports um yeah so this this one feels this is probably the the category of build that i'm at least a little bit familiar with uh prior to talking to you um and this one feels like especially kind of uh heinous (laughs) so when whenever a trans person succeeds in sports uh it always comes with these very painful and uh, disappointing questions about, you know, did did this person succeed because they're trans? Um, and 
the idea that like somehow the, the the motivation behind these bills is that it's creating a a more fair playing field for the uh folks who are cisgendered who participate in these sports um and you know there's a bunch of ridiculous stuff about that but uh, do, do you have uh, anything to add to kind of that motivation yeah I, I mean what's important to understand there is that these bills are being promoted as saving girls sports yes. um with the idea that it's unfair to compete against trans girls um which one is a, is a misunderstanding of the way that hormones affect us in the first place. Um, I think the the gender binary, the idea that there are only two genders and we're all in either one, one or two of those boxes, either the, the man box or the woman box is already so harmful because our bodies aren't like that. Yeah. Um, we know that everyone has a different level of hormone. You could pluck, 1 million people and every single person would have a different makeup of hormones and a different way that that's affected their body, mm -hmm. different sizes of hands and different muscle consistencies, mm -hmm. et cetera. Um, I mean, sometimes we, we talk about athletes in uh, a way that really focuses on like the natural advantages that one body has versus another body. And I think instead of focusing on the way that trans bodies are inspected and isolated and seen as an unfair competition, we can instead celebrate the diversity of all of us and talk about ways to make sure that women feel welcomed into women's spaces regardless of being trans or being cis. Uh, because the truth is our bodies are too diverse to create these arbitrary markers of levels of testosterone. And there are many, many, many people with higher testosterone levels that are not good at sports. Yeah. This is not like a, a marker of definite sports success. Yeah. Um, I'm sure we could talk to so many people who are just really not good. Um, and so the, the focus really here is that they're not celebrating the success uh, and just the, the normal experience of being on a sports team and having the you know high school uh ex yeah the high school experience mm -hmm. of playing soccer with your friends um and competing and what that's like yes the, the the notion that someone in high school who is trans has an advantage uh you know when we know that that's just an incredibly hard thing to to go through in high school high school is hard for everyone high school is especially hard if you know you uh, are in an area or in a school where, you know, there's not a lot of other trans folks or there's just a lot of, you know, transphobic language and, you know, teenagers just not being able to kind of accept who you are. The idea that that person has an advantage in like sports is, is like so fanciful and, and backwards and just, um, you know, doing so much harm basically. 
unnecessarily. Absolutely. Yeah. It also has really racist mm -hmm. origins mm -hmm. um, of a lot of eugenics of, you know, people when black people have succeeded, especially black women have succeeded in sports, they were seen as unfair competitors compared to white women. Um, whereas when white women succeeded in sports, they were celebrated and uplifted, um, although not as much as white men. Yes. That's another conversation. Um, and so I think really testosterone levels and the gender that you were assigned at birth is an arbitrary marker the same way that we aren't screening everyone for their muscle density mm. or their height or their uh you know foot size if if we said oh everyone with a, a size nine or larger foot was not able to play sports that would impact trans and cis women alike um and it wouldn't be at all correlated to someone's success at a sport and so the any sort of barrier to not have access to a thing that can be a really joyful wonderful experience like high school sports is clearly has different kind of motives that are meant to block different people from accessing a part of society that people want to protect for different reasons yeah. for for ill ill-advised reasons um, Ill-advised. Yeah, yeah for these sure. bills are just—they're trying to create some kind of arbitrary measure for what qualifies someone as a, a man or a woman, and and as you said, that has wide-sweeping implications beyond just sports as well. Um, and then the last category of bills is focused on ID. Um, do you have any idea why they? I uh, I know that these reasons are, are going to all be so disappointing, but why you would not allow someone to update uh, a gender on their ID when we allow people to change their name for marriage, we allow all kinds of updates to ID all the time. Yeah, the barriers for changing your ID are incredibly high for trans folks and for other folks, but oftentimes it really is focused mm -hmm. um, and created because uh, governments don't want trans people to easily be able to shift their identity. Um, and that includes when you're applying to change your driver's license or state ID, actually having to publish your name change in series of newspapers, which can be like thousands of dollars because there's some ancient law that was afraid that people would just change their name because they were like trying to get out of debt. And so they wanted the public to be sure that they were aware. But if that was the case, definitely people are not gonna be looking in newspapers anymore. So we know that these yeah. are really old laws, but that create real barriers for trans people because they're incredibly expensive to take out advertisements yeah. in a local paper in your state sometimes like 10 different times over the series of several months to to actually share with others that your name needs to be changed when in reality we know that that's not helpful and just another barrier um i mean for these bills that are trying to avoid changes on birth certificates or some of them actually say that you can change it, but it has to say that you are assigned a different gender at birth. So it like outs you as trans. Mm -hmm. um, I really think that it 
those just come down to people not believing trans folks when they say who they are. And we know who we are and we just want to be seen as who we are. And so these laws oftentimes imply that trans people are lying about their identities, that they're not really women, they're not really men, they're not really non-binary. They're actually the gender that they were assigned at birth and they're just confused or trying to trick and manipulate other people, um, all the way down to not being able to update the act accurate gender on your identification is really just implying that trans people don't to be don't deserve to be seen who, as who they are. Yeah, and that's what that comes down to. And it, of course, the the result of that is that it creates so many different barriers for trans people to access the things that they need, um, but ultimately sends a huge, really dangerous message to trans people and trans youth that they don't matter and that they're not able to define themselves. Yeah, and and it's really no secret that part of the motivation for making things illegal for enacting laws that regulate things like this and just that regulate things in general is to discourage people from doing those things. Like it, it's not just that it's, uh, you know, they think it's like for public safety or whatever, like even just thinking broadly, it's, it's explicitly to discourage the interest or the demand for like certain types of things. So like the guys of like, this is trying to make something more fair, or this is like, trying to help people like realize their true identity that's all garbage because it's it's really trying to discourage people from being trans and that's so wrong (laughs) it's so messed up so yeah yeah, you you can't discourage someone from being who they are you know i mean you really really the government has no place in doing that um, or really anyone (laughs) um well said so yeah um those are all going on those are all bills that are going on um and i appreciate you going through those uh very thoroughly i think i learned a lot uh from talking to you about it um so we we don't have a ton of time left i wanted to end on on something a little bit of a a change of gears if if you're comfortable first of all i want to make sure is there anything else that you want to talk about um related to these anti-trans bills before we move on no, just that if folks want to learn more, the ACLU has some really great resources um, and you can literally read which bills in which states are being uh, are, are up for uh, confirmation. And so if you want to learn more and want to figure out if your state has any of these bills and if you can call your local senators or local representatives, please do that. Uh, and the ACLU is a great place to go. Awesome. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, we can leave some some description links. Uh, related to that. So um, for our final segment, uh, what I've been doing recently has been ending with a bit of a game. I think for you, Miranda, what I wanted to do, because you're you're a very prolific uh, advice giver, um, you're great at getting out or, or at figuring out the right way to address a sticky situation, and you've given us so much to uh, to work with on this podcast. You really educated everyone. So as sort of a way to wrap things up, I want to play a round of what would Miranda do um, if you are down? I am so down. (laughs) Sounds delightful. Uh, This is something that you can ask yourself, uh, listener, when you you go on and you find yourself in a conundrum. Okay, so the first scenario for you. uh, The ginger beer you order at the club is flat. (laughs) 
I mean, this is just the worst situation of all time. I don't even, this is a crisis for listeners, for those who do not know. I do not drink alcohol. And so ginger beer is my beverage of choice <laughs> at the, the local eatery or establishment. And if Dance they don't have good lighter. ginger beer, I got to leave. <laughs> you So you leave the club? You crack? I leave the club. I can't open. dance. <laughs> Without, without with the energy and excitement that is needed to full-on bop to a tune <laughs> without that ginger beer. Oh, man. Okay, yeah. So if you, <laughs> just get your ginger beer <laughs> situation correct if you're out there. Um, okay, next scenario. Your brother uh, becomes addicted to Minecraft and requests that your family catch up together on his server instead of over Zoom. Wow. I mean... <laughs> potentially realistic <laughs> i've never been a huge minecraft person but if i gotta log in to hang with my bro then i would make the sacrifice you'd make the sacrifice if noah came to I you would. and said hey uh i really want you and the fam like your parents your mom to check out the <laughs> the, the thing he's been working on you'd be in I, I think I'd be in with a little bit of resistance. The the real trick would be living in his Minecraft world, which like includes several statues of himself. You oh so, so you already I think know that's a little bit where... about this this is a hypothetical, but you already know a little bit about Noah's actual Minecraft scenario. Oh yeah, it's it's uh it's a real it's a real world he's built. <laughs> okay, great. Um okay. This next one, uh, I, I don't know about, but let's say you're hanging out with a friend of a friend and they say, yes, emperor, instead of like, yes, queen or yes, king, uh, to agree with something you said, what would Miranda do? I mean, I would appreciate the gender affirmation because I am grateful when folks do not misgender me, but I don't know if I'm a emperor. <laughs> I might be like more of a, a like a, a duke, but the gender neutral version of that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think emperor might be just like the wrong word. So I'd have to sadly inform them <laughs> that that does not align strictly with my personality and we could come together to find another, another term of endearment. <laughs> okay. So you would say something, you would bring it up. I think I, I think I would have to. <laughs> You're like, whoa, uh, for it. Okay, very good. Uh, our next one is you adopt a cat, uh, but she never leaves your bathroom. What would Miranda do? Well, this is real life. <laughs> um, my cat, Palouche, spent a full two months only in, in our bathroom. She had gone through, through some, some previous trauma and was pretty scared, very scared of everything but the bathroom. Um, and what I would advise is to buy a hand vacuum so you can vacuum all the litter up from your bathroom so that you don't have to step on litter after your shower <laughs> because that was the real issue. Yep. Um, but patience is key. Now, listeners, in case you're wondering, she is thriving. She hangs out on the couch. She walks around. She attacks our feet in bed. She's living <laughs> her little kitty life. So hope is there. She just needed time and love and to learn that she could feel safe. Yes. Very happy for Palouche. Excellent work there. Um, okay. Our last scenario. Corin hand makes you a beautiful, uncannily accurate wooden sculpture of yourself for your birthday, but it kind of <laughs> takes up the whole living room. What would Miranda do? 
<laughs> wow. Corn is my girlfriend <laughs> and she also does woodworking. And this feels like something that would happen <laughs> where she builds something that's really incredibly thoughtful and just takes up a little bit too much space. Um, Sorry, I think I would have to accept the gift, but then we would be burdened with finding a place for it in all future living situations. Exactly. And so apartment hunting would have to include like a wide open space for this statue. So I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Maybe I could donate it to a museum. Yeah, it needs some kind of permanent home that lets you visit it, but, but maybe not live with it. Yeah. It's a lot to explain. Just, just for practicality. Definitely can't live in a Brooklyn apartment with, that large of a statue <laughs> certainly not um amazing you've made it through what would miranda do i think you gave people a lot of useful practical advice despite my questions being <laughs> loosely loosely based on uh, absurd reality um so thank you um this is it this is the end so unless uh do you have anything else that you'd like to promote and if not you know we can say our goodbyes but thank you so much. No, that's been, it. This has been fantastic. I really appreciate you sharing all your deep wisdom with the listeners. Thank um, you for giving me the space and both giving me the space to explain how hard these bills can be, but also the magic and beauty of being trans. Yes. Um, it's one of the hardest but best things in my life. And I'm grateful to have had the access that I've been able to have to affirm that identity. And I'm so grateful to have friends like you who want to talk about and celebrate the identities that I hold. Yes. I hope we uh, get to see each other again soon. And yes. We'll do that together. I um, would love that. Yes. Thank you so much again, Miranda. Um, I really Thanks, Kevin. It. And It's yeah. been a pleasure. so much for listening to unless you ask and thank you to miranda rosenblum my guest unless you ask is produced by bread people productions you can visit breadpeopleproductions.com to check out all the projects that they are working on if you are interested in being a guest on unless you ask please email me at unless at gmail.com that's unless yapod at gmail.com and finally for making it to the end of the episode this week's nobody asked is that I am actually recording this on a different microphone. Did you notice that it was different? <laughs>